welcome again. Thank you uh, for joining us today. Um, we're going to be talking about values clarification and a process related to that um, that can be used as a tool for engaging um, with clients um, and that can really help us to be able to engage and connect, especially in difficult circumstances. Um, my name is Lisa Davis. I'm, I'm an LCSW. Um, worked for many years in, in community mental health. And I also have a PhD in social work um, that really focuses on mental health services research. Um, and as I mentioned, I'm here today with my co-facilitator, Jean Lundquist. Um, Jean is also an LCSW. Um, she's an implementation specialist with our public mental health partnership. Um, Jean, if you are there, there she is. If you want to wave, <laughs> maybe you can see her. Um, and Jean has done many wonderful trainings as well. Um, I don't know if any of you were here yesterday when she did a training on practicing self-compassion. It's a wonderful training. Um, all of our trainings are recorded and they're available on our website um, along with the slides. So um, you can see that one from yesterday and today's will be available as well. Um, so our present, our training today will be about an hour and a half. Um, I wanted to leave uh, plenty of time uh, for us to have questions and discussions. So we may use all that time or we may not. Um, I, I, I just, um, before we launch in um, to the content here, um, I feel that it is really important um, I just want to acknowledge what an incredibly difficult and painful time this is right now um, for many, many of us. And many of you on the line may be experiencing a deep amount of distress and grief um, about what's happening. Um, and to our communities of color, um, you know, I want to say that I, as a white person, cannot really imagine. Um, or understand what this moment uh, may be like for you, what it may mean to you, what you may be experiencing. Um, but I wanna say uh, that we see you um, and that we stand with you. So thank you again for being here. Um, I do appreciate it. And we're gonna be talking about values um, and it's really a timely subject. Uh, and I hope that it may be helpful, especially in these difficult times when we've got uh, so much that, that we are dealing with. So we're going we're gonna to be talking about two different um, approaches to um, connecting with our values. Um, one level is uh, connecting with our own values as practitioners, um, sort of why we're doing the work that we're doing, what it means to us. And we're going to look at how our values and, and what our work means to us um, impacts the way that we engage with other people. It impacts the way that we engage with our clients, uh, with our coworkers. Um, and then we're also going to talk about recognizing and joining with the values that are expressed by our clients and some very specific strategies for uh, values clarification uh, related to our clients. We're going to start by focusing on um, values clarification that is related to our values first as practitioners. 
And I'm going to be inviting you to think about and reflect and connect with um, what it is that kind of brought you to doing the work that you're doing in the first place. And not only that, not only what brought you uh, to be working in a role where you're helping others and really wanting to empower uh, people, but also what keeps you waking up and, and getting out of bed every day to keep doing that? You know, what got you out of bed this morning um, to continue doing the work you're doing? And the more that we can be connected to and intentional and, and focus on what it is about our work that is meaningful and has significance for us, the more it helps us to be resilient, it helps us to be creative and effective, um, but it also helps us to um, connect with the people around us because we, we relate to people differently when we're in touch with um, what our work represents to us and the impact that we want to have. Um, so um, I, I also just want to say that, you know, this has been a difficult time for many months now, and it's ex extraordinarily difficult right now. Obviously, we are going to be overwhelmed at times. Uh, we may have many strong feelings of anger and outrage and grief, and we definitely want to make room for that. Um, and if it's also, if it resonates for you, and if it feels right to you, um, we want to allow those feelings to be, but we can also think about ways that we might want to be able to help ourselves and support ourselves to return to and to sort of remember what it is that really matters to us, um, in this case, in the area of our work, um, what we want our work to stand for. And similarly, we can help our clients do the same. That is, think about uh, what is meaningful and important to them to help them author and define what they want uh, their, their lives to be about and what is meaningful to them. Um, so we're going to use some strategies um, from an evidence-based practice called acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, there's lots of books and manuals on acceptance and commitment therapy. There's even, um, you can find some publicly available like worksheets and things. Um, I encourage you to take a look at all the stuff that's out there. Some of you may have already heard of it. Um, it's an intervention model that integrates mindfulness and acceptance strategies with values clarification and some behavioral techniques. And it's really designed to help people identify um, what is most important to them and sort of what they care about in a whole range of, of life areas. And then to be able to develop the skills to be able to kind of act on those values in an ongoing way. So we have values in a whole range of areas. You know, we have uh, certain things that are very important to us in terms of relationships and the way we want to be in relationships. Uh, we may have uh, things that are very important to us in terms of spirituality, in terms of leisure. Um, and today, again, we're going to focus in on this area uh, first about uh, looking at the meaning of, of our work. Um, so ACT involves this values-based orientation to really individually defining a sense of meaning and purpose um, for ourselves. And this is brought to the foreground 
um, in acceptance and commitment therapy by using um, different lines of inquiry. Um, for example, uh, these are some of the questions that are, are common in, in ACT. Um, what's most important to you about this area of your life, in this case, work? What sort of person do you want to be as a helper or a practitioner? How do you want to be in relationship to others through your work? So how do you want to be in relationship to your clients, to people that you're serving? How do you want to be in relationship to your coworkers, to your teammates? Um, what does your work stand for to you? What is the significance that it has for you? And what is the impact that you want your work to be about? So part of what we're doing here is we're thinking about sort of the legacy that we want to leave um, based on all of the time and uh, effort that we spend on our work. And by legacy, uh, you know, I don't mean, um, you know, writing a book or, or becoming famous um, or even, you know, necessarily changing the world, but just kind of what are the moments that we want to come away with um, that we will carry uh, that will be important to us. So once we identify these values and we kind of go through this process, which we're going to practice in a minute, um, acceptance and commitment therapy also in includes developing what is called in this model um, patterns of committed action. And that's essentially sort of just making a plan for how we're going to be able to act in accordance with our values, especially over time because that's actually not an easy thing to do. And, and life is very complicated and we can easily get pulled off track. In fact, that's just part of, um, part of life. Um, so we can come up with a plan about how we can reconnect when we feel disconnected um, from our sense of purpose. Um, and this part of the process actually involves um, behavioral steps that, that we can create that flow from those values that we identify. Um, so a big part of this approach is recognizing that there's really nothing very simple um, or straightforward about just, you know, embodying your values all the time. Um, life is very complex. And um, this is where mindfulness and acceptance strategies come in because um, it involves a certain degree of vulnerability and risk to claim what is really important to you, um, to take steps that act uh, in accordance with, with your values. And that means that you might feel anxiety at times, we might get frustrated, we might feel disappointed. Um, oh, it's, it's not gonna be easy. And so uh, if we're willing to sit with a certain amount of anxiety or discomfort, we can make a commitment to acting on our values even with that discomfort. So I want to make a few key points here in terms of um, the word values in this context. Um, when we use the word values in, in, in terms of this framework, we're not talking about any kind of a moralistic under, underpinning. You know, this is not like having family values or good values as, as they're defined by, you know, different institutions. Um, Values here are that which really has personal significance for us and how we want to kind of express who we are, you know, what we care about. 
And in that sense, values, and again, in this context, are sort of almost like a, a part of our essence. It's something that we actually learn to listen to and honor. Um, also, a value is different than a goal um, or sort of a set of behaviors. So the value is kind of like what's underneath our behavior or the function that a behavior might serve. So for example, if you think about, let's say I'm an, a homeless outreach worker, um, I'm engaging in a whole bunch of sets of behaviors, you know, maybe I'm giving information um, to people about specific resources, I might be bringing them water and clothing, I might be initiating applications to Project RoomKey. Um, those are all, of course, behaviors that can be operationalized and measured, they're, they're discrete actions. But underneath those behaviors, um, there's there there may be a value that is is kind of um, embodying uh, or um, driving those behaviors, and so the value might be you know seeing us as human beings as actually being interconnected, um, and actually perceiving that what happens to one person actually affects us all. So I might have a value about contributing to society or especially to uh, certain groups in society that are very vulnerable. So a value is this dynamic way of seeing the world and being in the world. And it's important to disentangle that from a behavior um, because once we can get a hold of this sort of underlying value that's a, a principle about what we care about in the world, then we can kind of extrapolate from that a whole range and a whole repertoire of different actions that might um, flow from that value. I'm gonna ask us to actually kind of try this out a little bit. Um, and um, I, I want us to kind of walk through this process a bit of, of actually kind of trying to parse out and sort of hone in on um, some particular values and what they might be and, and put words to um, kind of what's important to us in terms of our work and the impact that we want to have. So I'm going to read three questions to you. I'm going to one at a time. And then I'm going to just give us a couple moments and give people a chance to reflect. Um, and then I'm going to ask you to share whatever you like, um, whatever comes to your mind. Um, you can put that into the chat box. And what I'm going to suggest is that I know you can see the question on the screen, but um, when I read it, I'm going to read it out loud. And if you can first just sort of let the question just kind of sit with you for a moment and see if you can notice what emerges for you sort of naturally, um, what sort of kind of bubbles up. So the first question is, when you are at your best uh, during sessions or interacting with your clients or people that you serve, when you're at your best, what are you like? So you might even call to mind a specific moment or a client or a interaction that captures you at your best. If you can bring that to your mind, what does it feel like inside when you're at your best at work? What does it look like when you're at your best? How are you interacting with the people that you're helping? How are you interacting with your colleagues? What do you like? I'm gonna just give us a moment. OK, 
Okay, so Jean, I feel at my I feel at my best when I'm patient and persistent, accepting of the challenges of the system, but thriving in collaboration. Wow, those are some really wonderful descriptors. Patient yet persistent, accepting, thriving, and collaborating. Beautiful. Any other thoughts? I feel very present and mindful of spoken and unspoken communication. Interesting. So being for David, being at his best has to do with sort of an inner state of being, really attuned, um, spoken and unspoken communication. I am patient and creative. I think you know, patience sounds like something a lot of us can relate to. I think creativity is such a beautiful word. What we do above all else, I think, involves uh, the need to be very creative. Um, patience and a good listener, again, really describing an important state of receptivity. I feel at peace and happy. Wow, I mean, I think that's a wonderful sort of indication of acting on your values when you feel at peace and happy. I feel strong and steady and powerful. Wow. Um, good listener and being patient. I feel I'm at my best when I'm empathic and non-judgmental and when I'm open and present. A lot of uh, people understanding that the way that we're able to be open to others is very important. Empowered, yes. I'm attentive rested, that's important, able to hold people's challenging experiences, being well-prepared, but being able to accept that everything could fall apart or change. Wow, uh, that's incredible. Uh, that is just an amazing um, skill uh, to be in that state of being, as you all are saying, attentive, accepting, and attuned, but able to be flexible enough to know that the rug gets pulled out. Optimistic and positive when a client encounters a hurdle. To inform that they are not alone and that there's a whole team to assist in many ways to find a solution. Okay, beautiful. So when we're connected to being the provider that we want to be, maybe we know that it's we, we have a sense of optimism that it will work out, that we're all in it together. Um, really, really powerful. Um, thank you. Um, okay, next slide. <laughs> I, you guys have already uh, delved in so, so much. Um, so here's a sort of a slightly different way of looking at it, which is kind of interesting. So if you could give your clients or the people that you're serving anything as a result of your work with them, if you could give them anything, what would you give them? And I want you to imagine, this is a world where anything is possible. Imagine now that nothing were standing in your way. This is not about sort of being realistic. If anything were possible, what would you want to give people you're working with? Is it like skills? Is it an experience? Hope and confidence. Okay, beautiful. To have more trust in themselves, to be more kind to themselves. Free will hope and motivation, support, wisdom that applies to navigating life. Wow. 
a lot there related to giving people something internal that they can really use to have the life that they want to have, motivation, support, wisdom. Beautiful. Hope, motivation, support. Yeah. A space for their voice to be heard. That's very powerful. Resiliency, strength, and to love themselves. A feeling of supportive family. Strength, power to grow from their negative experiences. Oh, that's so important that, that we can help people uh, not to push away the negative experiences, but to maybe use them as a vehicle to learn and grow. Feelings of safety, love, for them to understand that there's not, no, just, not just things, sorry, as normal. Um, <laughs> there's no thing as normal, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like, I think, I think if I'm interpreting that right, it's like uh, the stigma that many of the people that we work with have and helping them understand that there's, there's not something fundamentally wrong with them. Um, Self-empowerment, such, oh, beautiful. I would give confidence, clarity, follow through, self-trust, and empowerment. So I think uh, we really see that um, this is a guiding force, what you all are putting into words. Um, this is a guiding force that will be transmitted and translated um, to the people that you're, you're working with. Positive thinking skills, confidence in navigating change, nurturing relationship with themselves, confidence in setting boundaries. Wow, that's a very beautifully laid out set of things. Self-forgiveness. Um, okay, wonderful, wonderful. So very uh, beautiful uh, examples. One last question here, and I think it's interesting to think about, and that is, are there certain areas of your work life where you feel, you know, where there's a certain amount of pain, where you maybe feel disappointed, you know, where you feel that you wish it could be different? Um, what are the difficult areas? And as we identify those, we can think about, too, what that actually points towards in terms of what we are longing for. So. I don't know if anybody has um, a sense of what are the sort of pain points? What are the areas that are, are most difficult? Um, okay, self-love, not being able to meet clients' needs in regards to resources. Yeah, not enough resources for our clients, like undocumented clients, um, not having enough residential facilities. So a lot of... Um, difficulty around not having enough resources, scarcity. Um, and I think that that really points toward a value that we hold around um, equity. And, um, you know, a, a lot of us that have a desire to, yeah, lack of resources, you know, uh, that we, we often have strong values around uh, addressing these inequities. Um, in society, not enough housing. Yeah, yeah. And I and I and again, some of the things that you all just put into words that you're wanting to give your clients feelings of safety and empowerment. Um, that those values also show up in terms of the things 
where you're feeling thwarted um, in that area. Um, yeah, lack of resources. Okay, um, so I think beautiful job of people really getting clear about sort of how they would put into words a lot of these values. Once we have a sort of a sense of clarity, we can kind of put into words what some of these values are, um, then we can sort of think about how we might want to take those values and think about how we would act on them specifically. What might some actions look like in terms of acting on those values? And once we can be clear about the value itself, how it might show up, how we might act on it, we can also kind of um, do a little assessment for ourselves and, and sort of look at how much we're feeling aligned with our value. Have we, do we feel like we've been sort of pulled off track um, so we can kind of check in with ourselves and just look at, you know, if we say just even over the last week or two, it helps to think of sort of short, discrete uh, time frames. You know, how would I rate the degree to which I've been acting on that value recently? Um, and we can use kind of a scaling technique. Um, this is also very helpful if we're using this approach with clients, we can do the same thing where we're talking about their values, how might they act on it? And then we can say, would you, you know, if you look over the past couple weeks, um, if zero was not being aligned with that value at all, and 10 was being totally aligned with it, you know, where would you fall? And we can just sort of quickly gauge if we feel like we've been pulled off track, what's one step that I might be able to take in the next couple days, you know, um, that would reflect that value. Um, and so this is really just a way of sort of helping us to realign. Um, so as we develop goals and action steps that are related to our values, there's a couple things that we know from the field of behavioral activation and also behavior modification that are important here. Um, whether we're doing this with ourselves or we're doing this with clients, it's important to just, you know, this may be a reminder for a lot of folks, but it's important to keep this in mind. The first thing is that the goals and the action steps that flow from our values, they need to be specific and measurable and really practical. We want to encourage ourselves and our clients um, to take very small kind of doable steps that are really well-defined. So we wanna kind of position ourselves, you know, if our value, you know, if we have a value around equity and helping connect people to resources or helping people, you know, self-empowerment, um, you know, helping with stigma, we wanna to try to operationalize that in a way that's really manageable um, so that we can feel that we're able to move forward. Um, another thing is that we want to avoid framing goals in terms of things that we want to stop or get rid of, and we want to flip that into sort of a positive framing. So it's always helpful, and with clients too, to frame goals in terms of what is it that I want to be doing more of. So for example, if I have a goal as a practitioner, let's say I have a tendency to be very directive, like overly directive with my clients. I, I just sort of, I get into advice giving maybe very easily. So my goal is to stop being overly directive. What I want to do is flip that into what would I be doing more of? So my goal would be um, I want to uh, practice eliciting my clients' preferences more, or I want to practice listening longer before I uh, jump in. 
Lastly, in relationship to a values-based orientation, um, one of the really important things here is that goals and action steps, this is a little different than just regular behavior modification, right? The goals here, it's critical that they are connected to values that are really genuine and authentic, as opposed to um, things that we think we should care about, um, you know, but they're, but they're sort of imposed. Um, and there's some good questions in acceptance and commitment therapy that to help you sort of tease that out. Um, and so uh, these serve as sort of a litmus test. So one question is, if you find yourself reflecting on this, um, you can ask yourself, you know, do you either your values or your goals have kind of a have to quality? You know, like, I really have to stop being so judgmental. You know, I, I just, I have to be, I really have to be better at accepting people. If there's that sort of, I need to shape up kind of quality, um, there's a good chance that we might be experiencing something that's sort of a should, that's something that's imposed on us, but what we think we should be. And that's important because if the values aren't really chosen and they're not really authentic, it's going to be difficult to have them give us that empowering quality that a lot of you describe where you feel, you just feel, you know, when you're at your best, like you feel empowered and powerful and all that. It's going to be hard if, if those values are not authentic. Um, and uh, you can also ask yourself whether or not a goal or a value is like you're trying to avoid disapproval. You know, maybe my spouse or my parents or my boss uh, wants me to do X, Y, or Z, and therefore um, I'm, I'm just sort of wanting to avoid uh, disapproval. We mentioned that um, simply identifying and, and then just acting on our values is not necessarily as easy as it sounds. Um, it's not really a question of if, it's a question of when we get pulled off track. You know, I mean, we all know that there are times where we just, we feel disconnected from our sense of purpose. Um, we may feel really discouraged at times. Um, we might wonder, it's inevitable really, whether our, all of our efforts and our labor are really making a difference. Um, and especially with recent events, you know, we might just feel very isolated or sort of alienated, uh, kind of lost. And obviously that all affects our motivation. So it's really helpful um, to have what I call kind of a values-based self-care plan um, that you think of sort of ahead of time. Um, so that hopefully when you're not in the midst of being overwhelmed, you can have thought about a few strategies that really work for you, that are helpful for you in those sort of low moments when you're really discouraged, when you're disconnected from your, your sense of purpose. So there's a couple questions here that we can orient towards to um, develop that. So the first thing is, um, it's helpful to ask yourself and to think about um, what are the what are the particular challenges or barriers or situations that arise for you that that lead to you feeling kind of disconnected from your values? You know, is it when a client has a bad outcome? You know, maybe they've gotten rehospitalized again. Uh, maybe they've fallen out of housing. Um, 
maybe they've dropped off the grid, we can't reach them. You sort of knowing yourself, what are the things that will, that are likely to sort of come up for you that may challenge and, and make it difficult to, to stay connected? And then with those situations, what are some of the thoughts and feelings that are typical for you? So when those things happen, do you tend to feel really helpless? Um, do you have thoughts about feeling like I'm not, I'm not good enough at this job or I failed? What are the thoughts and feelings that go along with those challenging situations? So if you can identify that, then you come to the question of what can you plan to do in those moments? Heavy caseloads and not being able to give full services to a particular client due to caseloads. Okay. That's a big one where we can start to feel really uh, challenged and overwhelmed. When a client falls back into the disease, um, makes me feel that I haven't done all that I could have done. Yeah, I imagine a lot of people can relate to that. Valuing self-determination while working with mandated clients who do not want therapy. Um, that's a really good example of a challenging uh, situation where you want to be connected to your value and yet there's a conflict there. Um, so, wow, these are beautiful examples. Now, let me ask you all, um, are there certain things that you do in these moments um, that are particularly impactful or useful or helpful to you that help you to kind of get reconnected? Um, there's lots of different ways that we do that. Does anybody uh, have a thought about um, are there particular strategies that you have? And I was able to have client accept being placed in Project Room Key to the day of transportation. The client changed her mind. I felt as if I could have done more to help the client. Um, yeah, these are very painful situations. Use breathing techniques to de-escalate feelings of discouragement. So, you know, this is, this is a really... Um, you know, by, by just doing the work that we do, we are, we're trying to deal with so much need and, and such limited resources that we are bound to feel these feelings of, could I have done more or how painful it is um, to not have things turn out um, the way we want. So using breathing techniques to deescalate is a tremendous strategy. Um, I try to remember um, that I'm with a team, ground myself by meeting with my team, finding concrete next steps to help remain hopeful in a space of honoring uh, client self-determination. So the breathing technique and then the reaching out for support, beautiful. I feel discouraged for, for, no, oh, for some apparent reason. Uh, okay, not 100% sure. If, so feeling discouraged, uh, sometimes we don't know why we're feeling discouraged, by the way, uh, I just want to say, um, or we just, you know, there's lots of reasons why, um, and we just need to kind of think about how we can help ourselves. Taking a step back, reminding myself to not personalize the outcome, that's very wise. Focusing on the power of building rapport, even when other interventions are not able to be used. Yeah, I know, that's a really powerful one, just... Um, that we may be one of the few people 
that gives a really deep caring attention to our clients, even if they didn't get to the room uh, that we got for them. Um, remember everything I've done my best with the support I had, remembering why I chose to be a social worker, talking to my supervisor and coworkers. Um, beautiful example again of an internal part there, remembering, and then an external reaching out for support. When the client changed her mind with going to Project Room P, I felt discouraged. Yeah, oh, that's very, very difficult. Reminding myself that, uh, that it, it is what it is when the client wants so true. Yeah. Um, when, oh, sorry, when the uh, client wants not what I want. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, actually super challenging uh it's hard to observe um situations where we feel like we might know something or have something that could be helpful and the, it just may not be what the person uh, themselves wants um and pam thank you for just acknowledging so true renee um not being able to find resources of a client that speaks a different language than english such as vietnamese and cambodian yeah that that resource issue that can be so difficult. Taking time to recharge, um, so important. Acknowledging all the things that didn't go the way I wanted them to. Sending love and healing to all of those imperfections and ex expectations and letting it all go so I can start with a clean slate the next day. Wow, um, I think you all are <laughs> have an amazing amount of wisdom in uh this savvy of dealing with all of the challenging experiences that are part of this role this combination of being kind to ourselves also reaching out for support oh, oh, radical acceptance yeah that's another really helpful um a helpful approach if any of you are familiar with dbt there's there's a lot on radical acceptance that's really helpful there trying to get everything done and staying too late have to remind myself that I'm doing the best I can every day. Tomorrow is another day to work on matters. I mean, these things are so powerful. It may sound simple to kind of just accept our limitations and to say to ourselves, I will try again tomorrow. I mean, that is, it, that is really powerful. It's a really powerful kind of wisdom to be able to accept limitations and and say, I'm gonna get up tomorrow and I will do my best. Um, this is just a, <laughs> I, I don't know about any of you. I, I, I have a sort of a bunch of like little poems and quotes that I really, really like. I don't know if anybody else is like that, but um, I have certain ones that are just, I, I've looked at them over and over again over the years that are meaningful and powerful. This is just a quote. It's it's actually kind of a famous one. Many of you may have heard it before from Goethe, the, the 19th century uh, German philosopher, playwright, and poet. Um, and I think it's kind of an interesting way of looking at what we're talking about here today about um, being committed and connected to our values. Um, until one is committed, there's always hesitancy, a chance, the chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there's one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. The moment one definitely commits oneself, 
then providence moves to all sorts of things occur to help that would have never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events issues from the decision, raising to one's favor all manner of unforeseen accidents and meetings and material assistance, which no man could have dreamed would come his way. Whatever you can do or dream you can do, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. So if that has meaning to you, um, then that's great. And you may have others, uh, other kinds of things that feel resonant for you as well. All right, so we've walked through this process of, of a little bit of a process of kind of identifying our values as practitioners. I want to circle back for just a moment to um, the question of client engagement and looking at how, you know, us doing this internal work might potentially impact the experience that our clients are having. Um, I can tell <laughs> from this group that you already have a very good sense of this, but still, I think it's helpful. Um, so um, if we think about, think about what it's like to be in relationship with somebody who is really connected to and embodying their values as a helper. Now, maybe you can bring to mind actually an experience that you've had uh, where somebody was very helpful to you, where somebody supported you, just, you know, maybe there was something about the relationship that would just felt empowering, uh, maybe even transformative. And if you think about these types of relationships, they usually have certain kind of qualities. Um, first of all, there's usually a sense of being acceptable just the way you are. And that's really different than feeling sort of objectified or judged in some way. Um, in these types of relationships, you know, usually our ideas are sort of entertained with like an openness and a, a sense of receptivity. And that's really different than relationships where the person is trying to get their point across um, or be right about something. Um, in these kinds of relationships, you, you can sense that the person is physically and psychologically present. They're there with you rather than being sort of off in their own world. You know, you can't quite reach them or things aren't sort of going in. Um, and this person can usually sense how the world looks through your eyes. There's a sense that you're deeply known and that's very different than experiencing a relationship where you feel like your perspective is sort of somehow invisible or maybe just not important. Um, and in these kinds of relationships, your values, your core values are acknowledged and supported. And we know that that feels very different than relationships where um, there's the, the relationship sort of disconnected from issues that are really meaningful to us. And lastly, these types of relationships are filled with actions, it might be a big thing, it might be a little thing. You know, somebody was talking about just the quality of our listening, um, but they're, they have a meaning and a significance. And that's very different than relationships that are where there's a sort of autopilot or repetitive uh, or passivity or impulsivity. So, Again, I know that uh, I can tell from our 
chat discussion that this is something you all are very attuned to, but if you think about why it might be worthwhile to give this some attention and to do that little exercise of checking in with ourselves, seeing when we're pulled off track, um, because this makes a difference in terms of our quality of life, but it also facilitates or creates conditions that make it more likely that we can engage and connect with the people that we're trying to help. Um, so we're gonna switch gears a bit, but kind of keeping up with this uh, same approach um, and thinking again about sort of strategies that we might use specifically with clients. And again, acceptance and commitment therapy is a particular intervention model that provides us with a lot of great tools. And as I mentioned, I think you can even get, um, there's like worksheets and things you can get online that I think are publicly available um, where they have a whole bunch of life domains. I think there's like 12 or 13 of them. These are four examples you see here. And then they have a whole different series of questions that you can use with clients to help them kind of explore and map out um, their values in different areas of their lives. So um, for example, um, in terms of, fun and leisure, you know, what kinds of activities do you enjoy? You know, how do you have fun? And if you're not doing much that's fun, what kinds of activities would you like to be doing that you're not doing now? These are the kinds of things we can easily kind of gloss over because we know that there's so many urgent needs. We might be very attentive to crises, um, but it can help us to kind of broaden this out because if somebody has ways of feeling engaged and relaxed and enjoyment, that can have ripple effects in other areas. Spirituality, is this an important area to the client? And what is it about spirituality that's important to them and why? That can mean anything, you know, this can mean anything to any person from connecting with nature to, you know, participating in more organized um, activities. Um, how would you like to be co uh, contributing to your community? And what environments do you feel comfortable in or would you like to be spending more time in? Even with COVID, uh, that's a challenge right now for sure, but we could still be exploring, you know, where our clients feel good and is there a way to, you know, even if it's going outside for a, a couple moments um, to change the environment um, that can make a difference in their day in our day as well, <clears throat> sorry. Um, and then with, in regards to physical well-being and health, um, what are the values there and why is this important to the individual? So we can use these values uh, exploration questions to sort of map out with our clients um, what, it, what it would look like for them to feel engaged in ways that are really meaningful and significant to them. Now, I, I want to mention that many of us, of course, um, are working with and have experiences working in, in programs like FSP or HOME or other types of contexts where engaging in that, that type of exploration, that very structured kind of exploring of those kinds of questions, it may be very difficult. Um, maybe the person that we're engaging with is not really willing, that, that, that's not what they want to focus on. 
Um, they might actually, their thought process might be somewhat disorganized. They might be very focused on something in particular or, you know, that's very urgent to them. And so it may feel like sort of going through those questions can be difficult. And for these kinds of clients where sort of may not work to kind of go through a structured thing like that, um, we can still implement a values-based orientation um, to engaging them. And that's very consistent, for example, with you know, acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, and we can do that by really starting with where the client is at and kind of maybe um, you know, taking whatever they're presenting with, whatever their primary concern is, whatever they're focused on, and um, kind of linking that back a little, kind of doing this a little bit in reverse, um, where we're looking at what they're presenting with and we're asking ourselves, how might this be connected to some kind of an underlying value? Um, how might their, what they're focusing on or their behaviors um, be, have a function that's related to something that's important to them that can be identified and claimed more fully. And as we'll see in a moment, I'm going to break this down a little bit. Um, oftentimes, it's the behavior that looks like the problem or the thing that we don't want to be happening or the thing that the client is refusing to do um, that has some kind of a function or a meaning or a purpose to that individual that is rooted in a value. And um, they're up to something. They're up to something that is meaningful to them. And so if we can kind of understand what that might be, how it might be related to something that is an underlying value for them, that we can help again to sort of bring to the foreground and sort of join with them around, um, then we have an opportunity to uh, develop an alliance and um, agree upon something that's important to them that they value that we can then build on. So I just want to mention what I have up on the slide here is, you know, once we develop a rapport with somebody, if we can find a way to say to them, you know, what is, you know, can you help me understand what's most, what is the most important thing to you right now? What's most important to you at this moment? If we can find a way to ask that, then really what we need to do at that point is listen. And, but we're listening in a particular way. Uh, we're listening for something we can sort of grab hold of, either in their words, uh, maybe in their nonverbal communication or some behavior, where we can ask ourselves, what do these words or this behavior point towards in terms of what they represent? You know, kind of, if we drop down below the, the description, the thoughts or the behavior, if we were to kind of boil that down, um, what is it really saying about what this client most cares about? So I'm going to give you just a couple examples that might kind of illustrate this a little bit, this strategy. So let's say we have a client that's very focused on being able to use certain substances. That's a very important thing to them. Maybe they don't want to go to a certain kind of shelter or housing situation because they're afraid they might not be able to use. Maybe they've been kicked out of multiple placements that for things that are related to their use. Um, it's clear that really a important thing to them, a focus for them, is, is being able to continue using a particular substance or substances. And, and we might feel kind of stuck, you know, that something that is a primary concern or focus for them might feel like, you know, that's at odds with 
different treatment goals or a treatment plan that, you know, I might think is really important, you know, related to helping keep them safe and, and other things. And I think somebody mentioned this earlier, you know, when what we feel is important to the, you know, maybe helping to keep somebody safe may not be what the client wants. It's really difficult. Um, so, um, what can we do in these kinds of situations? So one of the first things that we can do is we can kind of ask ourselves, what is the function that meth might be serving for this individual? What does it do for this person? What does it give them? And how can I name that thing, you know, identify it and get their sort of agreement about what it is that's important? Um, and so that we can kind of um, actually bring that into the foreground. So for example, we might be able to explore this directly with a client. We might be able to say, can you help me understand, you know, what meth really does for you? What is it, you know, what is that experience for you? But ultimately we're gonna take a shot at naming what we think the function of that behavior might be based on what we're seeing or hearing. So for example, we might say, you know, it sounds like it's really important to you to have a way to um, feel good, to have a sense of relief, to relax, to be at ease, to feel energized. Whatever sense we're getting from that person about what that drug does for them, whatever function it might serve, we want to distill out the function and affirm the value that it's pointing towards. Is it important to have ways to feel good, to feel at ease, maybe to feel relief from pain? Yes, to seek comfort and soothing. We all need and want that. And that is a, a value that we can get behind. Another example, let's say we've got somebody with a psychotic disorder experiencing delusions. Um, um, and uh, we're trying to engage them, and they're very focused on this idea that they're on a mission from the FBI, and they really have to be monitoring, you know, what's happening around them, and if they lapse in that focus, then the aliens might, you know, slip in, and so they really have to stay focused on that monitoring, and they're, they're on, on this mission. Um, so, again, sort of looking at uh, what the function of that might be what might be uh, underlying that kind of thought process or the, that set of beliefs that might be po pointing towards a value. So we might say, you know, I can see how important it is to you that you have this job and that you take this responsibility really seriously and that you're really um, committed to wanting to help and protect other people. Um, and is it important to have a value related to feeling like you have a job and a purpose and that you're contributing to society? Absolutely. That's something that, that we can, again, join with um, and affirm. So we're, we're not talking about the particulars of the behavior or the content of the belief, again, but sort of that underlying value that um, it might uh, point towards. Um, okay. Um, oh, last example here of the clients, you know, it's just, they're like, you know, you people are always wanting to control me. I'm, I've been through all this before, you know, I just want to be free. Um, you know, we can say, you know, I can see that you are a person that really knows what is important to you. 
and that you really value above all else being able to be independent and have influence over your own life. And I really respect that about you. Um, okay, next slide, please. Once we've identified a value, again, that's sort of underneath the, the behavior, we, we do want to make sure we get the person's agreement and buy-in. You know, it has to resonate for them. And we, we sort of know, right, like if somebody's not very responsive, if we make one of these statements and they're, they're sort of not really responding, we just kind of keep going until we find language or we find a conceptualization that, that does resonate for them. Um, and once we've identified a value, we've gotten their buy-in, um, it gives us really powerful leverage for developing an alliance and engagement that we can continue then to build out and broaden out. So we want to make it clear that not only do we see the value that the client is expressing, we respect it, we honor it, and we are encouraging that value that we want to support them in actually building that out and broadening it. Um, so again, using this example, kind of building on this example, you know, I'm on a mission from the FBI. I've got to keep, make sure that the aliens don't get in. We might see things, you know, I see how important it is to, to you to keep others safe. You know, that's what I, that's what you really stand for. And I respect that about you. You're an important member of this community and of our society, you're working really hard for us. And um, you play an important role in safety. Now, again, you can see that all of these statements are around affirming um, the value that the behavior is pointing towards and the intrinsic worth of the individual. We are just recognizing that whatever's going on for them, they have intrinsic value and that they are attempting to express um, a value. And again, you know, once we've got this conceptualization that that they are, uh, you know, endorsing that they they feel connected to, um, then we want to use it as a springboard and sort of broaden it out and see if we can help uh, them be engaged in 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 many ways. Um, some of which may be, you know, health promoting. So um, we can just be curious and sort of wonder out loud with the individual about what it might look like if they were to express that value in in other ways and if they were to, you know, sort of broaden that out. Um, so we might say, you know, you play an important role in safety in the community. I wonder if you maybe you even feel a connection to some of the people that are, you know, helping to respond um, to the virus. They're, they're also dedicated um, to helping and protecting others. What do you think is important now for your neighbors and for your community in terms of safety? So we want to sort of say, I recognize this importance of this and your dedication. What are the other ways that you might want to act on that? Um, we might, that might also lead to questions about what the individual might do to take care of themselves to be able to continue um, acting in this role and acting on something that's important to them. So what do you think will help ensure that you can keep going and that you're able to continue uh, with these responsibilities? How can you take care of yourself so you can be there for others in this way that's very important to you? And you might also ask directly, um, have you thought about other ways that you might be interested in, um, you know, engaging in this role of contributing to the community? Um, especially as we start to build trust 
over time. We can broaden out the value and um, we can look for ways to sort of eventually link it to health promoting behaviors like getting medical care, getting social support, because it's in service of um, their value. I want to acknowledge that probably all of us, most if not all of you, have encountered, um, you know, working with people who don't seem to, uh, they, they don't seem to care about anything or want anything. And for people who seem very withdrawn, you know, and unresponsive, um, the first thing that is very important, of course, to recognize is that that can be a symptom of, of a psychotic disorder itself. So, uh, for example, people with schizophrenia may present as being um, very unmotivated, very undirected, um, and uh, that lack of caring or um, wanting is part of a biologically based illness. It's part of a mental illness. It's not necessarily an attitudinal choice, right? It's a symptom of mental illness. So that's important to uh, recognize, of course. At the same time, um, not caring about anything can also be related to a psychological dynamic um, that has to do, and it can be seen as a form of communication. And so again, we're, this strategy that we have here is based on always asking ourselves, what is the function of a behavior and how might it be related to something that has meaning? Um, we could wonder about the function of not caring about anything, and we could make some empathic um, guesses about that. So maybe you've been let down so many times that it's really hard to connect with even wanting anything or having any hope. I wonder if it feels impossible to imagine that anything could ever change or get better. And also, I realized that asking you about what you want, that means thinking about the future, and that can be overwhelming. So we want to be very sensitive to the fact that asking people to think about what matters to them, it does involve some vulnerability. And especially when people have had many painful disappointments, that it can be difficult. So we don't want to push. <clears throat> but we want to stay engaged, and, and that's really, really important. So we can even say to people, you know, I want you to know that I'm not asking you to do anything right now. Uh, I really just want to understand um, sort of how it is for you at this moment. Um, so really, you know, reassuring that we're not trying to force anything, um, but that we're genuinely interested in sort of understanding their, their world. Okay, so just in summary, as we're, we're gonna wrap up in, uh, with this part and just wanna open it up to any um, comments, questions. But just to summarize the, the, this client piece, um, when we're attempting to engage clients, especially again, where it may seem challenging, it may seem like mm, what we would consider sort of difficult to engage, um, that really we can see the value in almost any behavior, really, if we think about what is the function of it, what, is it, what does it represent um, to that individual uh, that is rooted in something that's meaningful and important to them. And if we can help to name it and claim it and join with our client and get behind it, um, then we have a much better chance of 
uh, being able to engage people that, you know, they're not going to feel as though we've got some agenda that goes, that's not aligned with what is important to them. Um, and um, over time, again, as we build trust, then we can really sometimes be effective at, you know, broadening that out in ways that are really powerful. But I want to just pause now um, and ask uh, folks if they have any um, questions, if they have any thoughts. You know, if somebody, um, oh good, <laughs> the audio is clear. Um, you know, also like if somebody has a particular situation that they want to throw out there, like a challenging situation where you feel as though you're having trouble with like a, a client that has a behavior or a situation where it's, it, it seems like it's hard for you to join with them, um, we can throw that out there um, or just any questions. Okay, do I have any examples of the values that may maybe not aligning. Um, do you have any examples of the values maybe not aligning of clinician and client? Um, mm, um, that's an interesting question. I will actually also ask the group that's, uh, if, if anybody wants to comment on that. I mean, one example, the first thing that comes to my mind is that sometimes it, it may feel as though, for some people, they may feel like, well, you know, I need to get the, the person to stop using substances or at least commit to, you know, um, getting, you know, um, reducing their substance use. Um, oftentimes people, it feels like I can't engage in, in any kind of a therapeutic process until the client does that. Um, that could be one example where the, the uh, clinician feels as though there's, um, there's sort of a barrier to being able to engage where they feel as though the client needs to be doing something differently. Um, perhaps the client is, you know, this also comes up with aggressive behavior, uh, maybe where the, the person, you know, uh, the clinician might feel like there's a really difficult barrier there to engagement. It can be hard to see what's going on that the person is, is trying, is needing or trying to express. You know, another example might be when, when people, if clients are very in the midst of, for example, a very fixed delusional um, system, uh, it might be hard for the worker, for the clinician to feel as though they can um, work with that individual because they don't want to collude with the delusions, but we know that it's not going to be effective to challenge that person's reality. Um, and so that can also be a, a point of um, difficulty sometimes for clinicians. How do I engage with that person, but not necessarily agree with what their delusional content is? Um, and that's where, again, we don't need to focus on, on the, the details of the thoughts or the content. Um, we can do this other uh, sort of um, focus of oh, what might be underlying that. Do you ever say, I cannot support you in a particular action, but would continue supporting you in a particular value? Interesting. Um, I think that's a really interesting idea. Um, I think that is definitely a possibility that you could find a way to say that. And especially, uh, I had a client who wanted me to help her find a sugar daddy. Yeah, I mean, I think it can be really, um, that could be a really helpful approach to separate with the client, you know, their behavior versus 
right? Why would she be looking for a sugar daddy? Obviously there's something that she's needing and wanting that she's wanting to get from that. And that you could actually talk with her directly about the fact that I'm not necessarily, um, you know, going to work with you on this particular behavior, but I recognize what is important to you about this. And yeah, um, I think that's, um, I think that could be a really helpful distinction um, for clients uh, and letting them know how you can support them, but you're not necessarily wanting to uh, contribute to or um, enable uh, something that might be destructive. For years, I facilitated NAMI family to family classes. We do role playing exercises that are similar to some of your scenarios and teach families to not deny the delusion. Yeah, but not encourage it either. Right, right. I really like this approach of switching the focus onto the value and why it would matter to the person. Oh, beautiful. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's a way of, of, of uh, neither denying nor um, you know, reinforcing, but as you say, um, but at the same time, finding a connection, a way to connect. So you're, you're almost sort of, it's, it's sort of like almost not the point, really what the content of, of, of the delusion is. And we just leave that alone. We don't need to challenge it, but we're also uh, not, again, reinforcing it in any way, but we, we find this other route of alliance. Yeah, that's wonderful. Gosh, what a wonderful, uh, what a wonderful afternoon um, being with all of you and having a chance to think about some of this, uh, especially in the midst of all that we're uh, dealing with. Showing the client you can respect the way they feel. Yeah, this is a deep form of respect of it, it, somebody used, brought up the term radical acceptance earlier in relationship. We were kind of talking about ourselves, like giving, you know, with our own internal experience. And that's right. It is, it's, it's respect for how they feel and it's respect for um, however, what they're attempting to do in the world. And um, it is a form of uh, respect and, and acceptance at some deep level. Uh, and, you know, also like, like Daniel was saying, it's respect and acceptance without necessarily condoning every behavior. Um, uh, doesn't mean that we condone anything. All right. How do you honor independence with those that are conserved? And you see that it's such an important value for them. I want to also encourage others to help answer that. I, I think there's many ways to think about that what this question the first thing that comes to my mind is that um what a what a wonderful thing to be able to put into words for the client um almost like being transparent with the client like saying you know i am so interested in understanding how i can honor your independence and knowing that maybe some of the things that you're you know doing are not necessarily your choice or that you've been you know whether it's a mandated client you know i recognize that and and i'm really interested in thinking about how given that that's the case you know i can honor or we can honor your independence um 
it sounds like a wonderful thing to just state as a intention uh, with the individual themselves um, and see if there's something that can come from that. Do other folks have thoughts? Definitely tried to build independence by activities in the community a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. And so again, especially if you can get the client to agree with and indicate that they are also endorsing the idea that independence is important to them. If you can ask that and look for their agreement and buy-in, then you can start thinking about what are some of the activities, what are some of the ways that, that we can find avenues for that. We have all of our past, we've got a whole archive of, of uh, trainings and um, all of the different past things there as well. So this will be there and available. And uh, we encourage you to go just sort of check out the website. We've also got other resources up there. Um, as well, but we've got an online trainings tab that's got all of these uh, trainings. And then also, if you ever have any questions or anything, always feel free to email us, um, pmhp at, at mednet.ucla.edu. And thank you again. I hope everybody has a wonderful week. And uh, thank you so much for joining us and for all of your participation. Um, really, really great.